All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A quick warning before we start. Today's Note to Self episode is all about a word with a dark past. So if you're not in the mood or you have kids who aren't quite the right age for this information, save this episode for later. But don't skip it. We promise you'll feel smarter after you listen. Cuck. Cuck commercials. Conservative. The cuck. Cucking them. Cuckster. So you've got these two things, uh, maybe three. The racist thing, the sexist thing, and the political thing, the figurative political thing. And it makes for a very nasty word. Oh, yeah. It's nasty, all right. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. This week, cucked. How it evolved and very recently spread with the help of the internet. And why some words seem to thrive, multiply, and spread online, and others just never get the glory. mostly political context, I took the word to mean kind of a man who isn't a real man, a guy who's lost his masculinity. I have to say, I luckily don't see this word very often because it mostly lives in pockets of the internet where I don't usually hang out. I am a When did commercials become cuck commercials? Mamby pamby flaky things that subjugate men? He's now calling it a crucial house vote, goes to the Republican caucus, and flat out cucks them. If you're talking like policy and you're like, well, I really disagree with open borders, and I think that, you know, really we need to pause immigration right now and get, you're a conservative, and sometimes horrors attached to it. Don't talk to Trump. Ugh, this word just keeps popping up. From sites like 4chan and Reddit to white supremacist podcasts, and eventually even here on our podcast. It is a powerful meme, and that's in a way why people like us find it hilarious and, and, and kind of, you know, like naughty. This is Richard Spencer. He's a racist known to much of the Internet as the guy who got punched in the face in a video a few months ago. And to some of the Internet, he's a key figure in the so-called alt-right media. Richard Spencer did a special episode of his podcast on the word cuckservative to really revel in the words racist and sexist implications. But even Richard Spencer admits it's not like he uses the word at Sunday dinner with mom. You know, I'm not going to go to my uh, 
parents and start talking about, hey, cuckservative. Like, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of something that's meant for Twitter. <laughs> Where the heck did the word cucked even come from? That is what Note to Self producer Kat Aaron and I were wondering. Kat had seen the word around a lot, too, on the Internet, especially when she fell down information rabbit holes on the website Reddit. And so she reached out to Jonathan Green. I think what I have to offer is probably as much historical as anything. Yes, please. That's, that's perfect. I have an online dictionary called Green's Dictionary of Slang. Word nerd alert. That makes Jonathan a lexicographer, a dictionary maker of slang. I mean, the first thing I did, obviously, was look in my own dictionary. And to my pleasure, well, up to a point, I found that cuck was being used in the early 18th century. We're talking 1700. The word comes from cuckoo, because he's a, the third man, the lover, is the cuckoo in the nest. I mean, the cuckold was a figure of fun. There was an amazing thing in the 12th, 13th century in the UK called Horn Fair, which is all about horns, which are not horns as in horny, which is all about horns and the penis and so on. It's horns about these growths on the head of a castrated cock, this is where it comes from. This is why it's horns. And the cock became a capon. It was unable to breed. And this is all tied into the man who was cuckolded. And Horn Fair, they would have, it was on the Thames near London. And it would have what they call rough music, which was basically people beating on anything, kitchen equipment, whatever it might be, drums, so on and so forth. And they'd all march along and they would be cuckolds there and they'd mock them, I believe. It was one of those wonderful things from 700 years ago. Yeah, that's quite a mental image, isn't it? It is. And there's actually Cuckold's Point on the Thames, which is where this Horn Fair thing would take place. There's something about the word that really grosses me out, cucked. I have a visceral reaction to it, that the word sort of makes my skin crawl. I agree with you, because what this was, well, what this is, because it's still used, comes from cuckservative. And it's a political cuckoldry. It's the idea that if you're on the alt-right, the neo-Nazi, whatever you want to call them, in your opinion, the cuckservative is a conservative, so they're a fellow right-winger. But because they haven't been as alt and, and extreme as you are, they have been politically cuckolded and lost their country to the adulterer who is the the left, the, in their opinion, the, the liberal, the lefty, whatever it may be, there's another side to it, which, and I think it's one of the reasons maybe that consciously or otherwise makes your skin crawl, is that the concept of the cuck is very much an internet porn thing. And what that's about is it's a, a, a husband who is usually white and the wife, also white, and this guy who's brought in who tends to be black and the husband who is white sits in the corner of the bedroom and watches the other two making love. And the wife wants to do this. The husband is excited by it. And it's got this awful racial stereotype basis in it as well. And the guy who's sitting there, the husband who's sitting there, the one who is not making love to his wife is the cuck. So you've got these two things, um, maybe three, the racist thing, the sexist thing, and the political thing, the figurative political thing. 
And it makes for a very nasty word. But I do get the feeling that other than those who want to use it, there is rather a sense that everybody else is picking it up with a pair of tweezers and watching it wriggle and putting it down as far away from themselves as they can. Yeah. It's not a word you want to embrace. The thing about slang is, is that its origins were meant to be secret. So if you have secrecy and the secrecy is broken, and over the years this has happened more it's always happened but it's become faster and these days it's really fast it's become easier and easier for the public to know what the slang's about for people who haven't created it for people who don't use it so i imagine that the internet is speeding up the end of secrecy of slang more and more you're spot on you're totally right also there is now this fissiparousness, this nicheness. I was with my elder son and we were on top of his building in the east end of London and we were looking at all these other big buildings and all housing projects. And he said, you know, they've all got their own slang and you're not going to get it. And I'm afraid he's right. But I, I do try. I had to look up that word fissiparousness. Uh, it's related to the word fission, and it means that something has a tendency to break up into lots of different parts. Trust a lexicographer to use a word like fissiparousness, right? But here's the thing. Jonathan could probably do research online if he did want to know the lingo of those East End housing projects. Because the distance between a little community in real life, throwing around a word at home, and then moving to all of us starting to use it, or at least hear it, has gotten pretty short thanks to social media. Random teenager Kayla Lewis makes a little short video that goes viral where she says that her beautifully shaped eyebrows are on fleek. And the next thing you know, IHOP is tweeting that its pancakes are on fleek. Erica Badu sings about staying woke in 2008, and by 2017, Congressman Ted Lieu puts hashtag get woke in a tweet about a government shutdown. And of course, there's cucked. If you were especially an outspoken woman on the Internet in any political realm, you probably saw it a hundred times. It was just the go-to insult from angry young Trump supporters on the Internet. Dana Schwartz is a writer at The Observer. She's also a young, opinionated, politically left Jewish woman. So not the core demo for so-called alt-right subreddits. They called Paul Ryan a cuck and the establishment Republican a cuck. And then once Trump won the nomination, the insult sort of expanded to be anyone who didn't support Donald Trump was a cuck. Can you just tell me how it would be used in a sentence? Yeah. Let's take the health care bill, for example, the famous failure of Trump care. Trump supporters who don't want to blame Donald Trump for anything will look at that and say, what a cuck Paul Ryan couldn't get his party to support Donald Trump's bill. And what do they mean by that? That he's not an alpha male. It comes from this sort of internet community on Reddit called the Red Pill. The idea is that these are men who see through the gender bullshit. They understand that women belong in one area and that they're only out for men's money and they're only valuable in terms of their looks. It's this sort of 1950s resurgence of an alpha male mentality. And so this sense of using a word that sort of sums up how they see other men 
as being weak. It They use it because it makes them feel better? Yeah. I think when you look at Donald Trump, the idea is that he's a man's man who doesn't take shit from the political establishment, whether that's the, the lamestream media or Paul Ryan and the establishment Republicans. And so this word, having this man, Donald Trump, who sort of embodies, I'll say, 1950s patriarchal ideas. He's wealthy. He has a younger, attractive wife. He sort of embodies this ideal, and then everyone else is a cuckold, especially if you're a man who identifies as a feminist. You know, we hear when we're a kid, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can't hurt me. Is cuck just a word? Like, whatever? Should we not even bother talking about it, really? Yes, and then no. So yes, it's just a word. And like all words, it's going to come into fashion. People will analyze it and call it out, and then it will go out of fashion and be replaced by a different word. So what's interesting and important to examine isn't the word itself, but it's the people using the word. It's more important to look at the subcultures of people who really have this racist, misogynistic ideology and examine them because they're not going away. The brilliant thing about the internet is it can bring people from all over the world together into tiny communities. And the terrible thing about the internet is it can bring people all over the world into tiny communities. The places where cuck has been popularized are places where young white men are becoming radicalized. They're learning to hate women. They're learning to hate minorities. They're learning to distrust the media. And when you filter all of your information within that bubble, perception changes of what's cool, what's acceptable, what's normal, and what's quote-unquote correct. And so I would hope that someone who you know, has been using cut casually, might read an outside perspective and realize their perspective is the one on the outside. Does a word like cucked have a long lifespan, would you, would, do you think? What makes me happy is I think we're killing it right now. Oh, really? Wow. I, like I right think, now? <laughs> probably. I think all memes and, and catchphrases that are, uh, that people get to feel cool and edgy for using, uh, their lifespan starts, decreasing when people outside that world, that bubble, learn and understand (laughs) them and start using them. There's nothing less cool and edgy than using a word that your parents know. Or also to feminist women discussing the origins of the word on a public radio program that kind of takes the edge out of a man's man kind of word, I guess. A little bit. Their internet communities are a little less sneaky than they think they are. When we come back, how those sneaky communities on Twitter, Reddit, and 4chan, how they unearth secret language and sometimes make words go from backwater to mainstream. Stay with us. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Zamarodi, and we're talking about the word cucked. It kind of refers to a man who's not a real man. He's a wimp. We're talking about this word's evolution online. And if you think about it, it's kind of amazing that one single word can have so many layers to it, so much history. And just using the word can say so much about who you are, what you value, what your self-image is. 
Derek Thompson is a senior editor at The Atlantic magazine. And for his recent book, Hitmakers, he researched how ideas and words get incubated and grow and either flourish or wither. It's become a, a relatively mainstream idea, uh, particularly on the right, that a cuck is a conservative, is a right winger who plays well with liberals and Democrats, and therefore is the sort of person who would let a liberal or Democrat sleep with his wife. And it's an unbelievably strange concept, but it was popularized right on these platforms like Reddit. Reddit, on the one hand, is a social media platform. It's a place where articles can be upvoted and downvoted by the readership of the website. But at the same time, once you hit a front page of Reddit or a large interior page of Reddit, that page is a broadcast. It is a broadcast like the front page of the New York Times is a broadcast or Drudge is a broadcast. And so one way that some of these ideas from Reddit have become popularized is that they'll sort of percolate up from a really small community, Mm. but then they'll hit one of these broadcast pages and millions and millions of people will see it. For the vast majority of homo sapien history, we could just talk to each other. There was only one way to communicate. You just got to talk to the guy in the cave, right? Then you begin to invent language in 3000 BC, but even that takes forever to catch on. It takes thousands of years for a majority of the Western world even to be literate. You don't have a public mail system until the 1800s. So for thousands of years, we went from writing but not being able to send letters long distances. So even the telephone, actually, which is really invented in the late 19th century, tries to be popularized in the early 20th century, but nobody knows what to do with it. It took forever for the telephone to cross 50% penetration in the United States. But in the early 2000s, suddenly you have this explosion of communications protocols. You have, you know, AIM in the 1990s, but then Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and all these different communications protocols have totally different patois, different styles or fashions or ways of communicating. The ideal Facebook message is nothing like the ideal tweet. On Facebook, you're supposed to be happy and optimistic and sort of a little bit narcissistic. On Twitter, what's cool is cynicism, right? Who can be the most ironic in a pat way? But if you try to be sort of ironic and cynical on Instagram, like nobody's going to heart you because that's where you share photos of you in the sunset, right? And then you move to Snapchat and you can't be Instagramming on Snapchat. You have to be sort of goofy in a way that isn't sort of enamored by sunsets and sunrises. Each of these communications protocols have their own culture. It's also like every part of your personality has a platform to go to, should you choose to. What you're talking about is actually a scattering of all the different selves, which is is kind of crazy. Yes, a mosaic. A mosaic of self that actually was always within us the whole time. And I don't mean to be hippy-dippy about that. No, I love that. Go. I fundamentally think when social media started to take off— It was easy for people to say, Facebook isn't the real me. And then Twitter took off, and we could say, Twitter's not the real me. And Instagram's not the real me. The real me is the mammal-to-mammal self. Me talking to you, seeing your face, seeing you nod, that's the real me. But in a future where the majority of conversation isn't face-to-face, but is rather digital— it explodes the idea that there is a quote-unquote real me that exists outside of digital communications. Mm. The real me is who we are in front of other people. That's personality. It's who you are in front of other people. And if the majority of your interactions in front of other people take place on Facebook and Slack and email and Twitter, that's the real you. 
And in a strange way, the mammal-to-mammal you, the over-a-dinner-table you, the over-a-breakfast-nook you, isn't more real at all. In fact, maybe it's less real because it accounts for the minority of your interactions with other humans. So this raises the question, you know, why do we seem more narcissistic on Facebook Mm. and more ironic on Twitter and more self-loving on Instagram? My answer is that we were always narcissistic. We were always presentational. We were always our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram selves before the technologies existed. We just lacked the capacity to demonstrate those shades of our personalities. And so social media has been like a prism held up against the white light of our personalities, refracting it into this rainbow of identities. But it's all the real us. And these social media technologies are showing us the identities that have always been inherent to humanity. You say that we lacked the ability to bring those parts out. I wondered, though, if maybe that ability was actually evolutionarily smart because there seems something very dangerous about the narcissism, about the self-congratulatory aspect, about the constant interaction without deep reflection that I think we've seen really explode in this last election, in some of the desecration and racism that we've also seen. It legitimizes thoughts and ideas, sometimes really evil ones, that should be squelched and put aside. Yeah, it's interesting, and and it's sad, too. Humans are neophobic. We are afraid of the new. And so, so often, the most successful new products are those which are sneakily familiar in music, in movies, in journalism. But the bias toward familiarity is dangerous in every aspect in every industry outside of pop culture. In many ways, you could say that misogyny or racism or tribalism is fundamentally a neophobia, a fear of new things and a bias toward the familiar. There's lots of evidence that suggests that young children who grow up in multicultural neighborhoods share none of the fear Mm. of darker skin tones than white children that seem to grow up surrounded by other white families and then only discover the idea of, say, Mexican or Asian immigration later in their life once they decided that America should be mostly white. So that suggests to me a scary thing and an optimistic thing. The scary thing is that underlying all of our biases might be the proto-bias, which is this bias toward the familiar. The optimistic side is that the familiar is almost infinitely elastic at an early age. That if children grow up in a world where women are equal and blacks are equal and Hispanics aren't meant to be feared and Islam isn't a scary religion, then they'll grow up into adults who are familiar with equality and non-tribalism and respect for religions that don't happen to be yours. So there is this dark side and it does live within us. But the dark side is also soft clay, and it can be molded into something that is good. If you want to know more about how ideas spread, Derek's book is Hitmakers, and it's great. Go check it out. And all this conversation about the power of this one word makes me wonder if maybe we can start using another word, or actually a phrase, the man box. 
I just read this phrase in Frank Bruni's weekly New York Times column. He got it from a nonprofit that promotes gender equity called Promodo. They just released a report done by sociologists who say that many young American men are living in what they call the man box, meaning that they feel like they have to live up to society's expectations by being tough and macho and jacked and in charge. And according to this report, these dudes do actually get some respect for being, quote unquote, real men. But they are also more likely to have fewer close friends, to be at risk for depression and suicide, to experience violence in their life, and binge drink. Men in the man box are two to three times more likely to have been in a traffic accident. It's crazy. This report makes me want to say, fellas, reject this word cucked. Get out of your man box and be free. Man box. Use it in a positive, encouraging way with someone you know who might be inclined towards that other word we've been talking about today. Think of it as linguistic therapy. Hey, by the way, many of you have been asking for more information or context about the recent news that Congress wants to give your internet provider permission to collect your data and online behavior and sell it to advertisers. Yeah, it's terrible news for your digital privacy. I did a quick explainer on NPR's All Things Considered that'll get you up to speed, and we will link to that story in this week's newsletter and online at notetoselfradio.org. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Matt Boynton for his help, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Talk to you next week. Thank you.